This podcast is brought to you by the founders of Chabra Chai, an authentic and completely sugar-free chai tea company. This series, our theme will be inspiration. You don't have to save the world to be inspiring. And our friends are perfect examples of that, inspiring us every single day by being unapologetically themselves. Welcome back to the No Added Sugar podcast with your presenters Ruby, Casey and Pratt. Woo! Um, and today we're speaking to the amazing Luke. We're inspired by his absolutely courageous and just generally amazing journey that he's had so far in his life. So, Luke, do you want to tell us a bit more about yourself? Uh, yeah, hi, I'm Luke. I'm 21 years old. I'm transgender and I work for a Jewish youth organisation. <laughs> so, Luke, tell us about like your journey and like how you've got to just where you are now? Uh, So when I was around 15, I came out as gay. So at the time I identified as female and that was like easy enough to do because I hadn't come to terms with my identity yet. Mm. Um, And a couple, like I just wasn't happy with that label. And then when I was 17, I kind of came to terms more with my identity and my gender identity and kind of speaking to people I knew that had been through the same thing really helped me with that and I came out as a transgender man in April 2017, um, 2016 actually, 2016, (laughs) sorry. Uh, So I came out as a transgender man in April 2016 and I've been living my life as Mel ever since. Um, You know, my family reacted pretty well to it and all of my friends and my, uh, the organisation I work for have been really supportive. So, yeah. So did you feel any kind of inkling or any or any sign before you started living as a man, like before when you identified as a lesbian? Or so, do you look back now and think, oh, I def- like, definitely was, I just didn't know? So I didn't realise it at the time. I was always known I was different, not like in a really special way. Like I wasn't yeah. like, I'm made to <laughs> I was just the like... The next Bill Gates. Yeah, exactly. I wasn't like, I'm going to be famous yeah. and amazing and change the world. Um, like I wish, but that wasn't what I meant. But um, but I always knew that I didn't fit into the kind of friends that I had and the other girls that I knew or the guys that I knew, and I just wasn't really sure where I fit. Um, I was also always like I've recently been thinking about this, and I would always like be looking at men and like copying the way they stood or like the way they spoke and the way they used their hands in conversation, um, and it was very um, subconscious. Like I didn't realise I was doing it but looking back I noticed those kind of things and in terms of like being at school I just feel like it's there's still so much like um kind of judgment towards transgender people gay people so like how did you find it being at school and coming to terms with it so at school I went to a Jewish uh secondary school and I just remember like always advocating really strongly for the LGBT people that were in school at the time, not identifying really as LGBT myself, but always kind of being part of that allyship community anyway. Um, and I left school before I came out because I knew I'd, I knew when I was still in my last year of school that I was trans, but I didn't feel comfortable coming out because I just didn't, I wasn't sure if I was going to be accepted or yeah. if, you know, teachers were going to penalise me for it or I was going to be treated differently from everyone else or, you know, I was going to lose friends in school because of it. Um, so 
I never came out in school, but I always was kind of advocating for that kind of thing. Yeah. And who, so in terms of like, when you are worried about what people would think, at your age, who, at the age you were, who is like the big, like who is the, the groups of people, that, or, the, or is it a group of friends who you're most concerned about what they think of you, or is it teachers, or is it family, like for other, for you, who was it that you were most like, what are they going to think of me? So I think it was mostly my, my not even my friends at school, like my peers, just yeah. the people yeah, I was in the yeah, year yeah. with. You know, people I'd been in school with for, what, like nearly 13 years. We'd gone to nursery together, primary school, secondary school. And I was just worried that that would change the way that they thought about me. Yeah. And as well as that, just the effects it would have on my parents and my siblings who were, you know... We all kind of had um, friends that, like, knew each other and, you know, parents speak to each other and I didn't want my family to kind of bear the brunt of that, so I just didn't feel comfortable being out when I was mm. in school. Mm. And what was the conversation like with your family? Because obviously, well, I assume they were, like, the most important people for, like, in terms of reaction-wise. Did you get the response you wanted or was it, like, really nerve-wracking? Like, how did that all pan out? So when I worked out, I was really excited to tell people and to tell my family and just start living my life more authentically. Mm. Um, I don't remember expecting a reaction. You know, I wasn't expecting... So I told my two sisters first, and I have an old, a sister who's four years older than me and a sister who's four years younger than me. And we were kind of out to dinner, and I was like, this is it, I'm going to do it. And I don't think I was expecting a specific reaction, but my older sister just kind of started crying. And then my younger sister was just like, what is going on? <laughs> <laughs> um, just very baffled by the whole thing. Um, and we were in Wagamama's in Westfield. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, which in hindsight probably wasn't a great idea. Um, I don't know. Don't you have to share like the walls? <laughs> it's like dim lights. Yeah. yeah. Or, and we were public to, like, and the people just, next to you were yeah. like, thanks What's for including us in your journey. Yeah. So <laughs> the closest, like, table. And my older sister and her now husband, like, used to eat in there so much. They would, like, go to Wagamama's in Westfield at least once a week, and the waiter knew her um, <laughs> because she ate there so much and, like, offered us a free bottle of wine. And she was like, no, it's fine, it's fine. Good <laughs> and they like thought that someone had died or something it was like looking back I actually find it really funny probably a little bit traumatic for them um, and we kind of paid went outside I remember my older sister just like she didn't smoke a lot at the time like, she I need a fag <laughs> she literally she literally like had like a packet of cigarettes in her bag well I think she had one and she just took out this pack of cigarettes just started like chain smoking <laughs> I was like, fuck. Yeah, what were you thinking? Were you like, God, what did, is she Is she sad? Is she mad? Like, why is she, why is she reacting like this? I was just like, I should probably let her boyfriend know that she's not in a good state. Um, <laughs> I, and she had driven there, and I was like, do you want me to drive home? <laughs> um, not that I was insured on her yeah. couple's <laughs> Should I should I should I drive home? Um, and I texted her boyfriend. Were you fifteen at this point? No, I was I was seventeen. I oh, came right, out right. as gay when I was fifteen. Okay. Yeah. What was their reaction like to that as well? Afterwards? Fine. So easy. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's why I did it. I knew they weren't gonna really care. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, let's get back to that bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, sure. So, um, so I texted her boyfriend and was like, uh, listen, so she's, um, I told my sisters that I'm trans and uh, they're kind of freaking out a little bit, so just beware. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, he replied, I remember he replied saying like, what? Question mark. <laughs> and he thought I was joking. <laughs> I remember him telling me he thought I was joking because he was out with his friends. They're like, the lads. And I was like, no, not joking. No. Um, and you got to yourself off in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, maybe this wasn't the best way to do it. Um, so then they both went back to his house after we'd left Westfield and like hung out there. And it was just my parents were at home. And I went in, I switched off the television. And when the television in our house goes off, you know something big's about to happen. Same. <laughs> it's <laughs> always like, on. Yeah, it's like the television in every room, at least one has to be on at any time. Um, <laughs> So I, like, sit them down and I'm like, I have to tell you something. And, like, I remember my parents, like, my dad's, like, quite jokey, like, has a very similar sense of humour to me and was just guessing things. <laughs> and he just goes, like, he, he just says, like, oh, what's he say? You've killed someone, you've, like, hurt someone, you're in trouble with the police. Uh, you're, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, just the TV. Yeah. I'm glad to know they were supportive of you killing someone. <laughs> I think, yeah. Um, he was like, you're pregnant. And I was like, how would that work? Um, and then he was like, you're a boy. And I was like, well, actually, I just remember like there was dead silence. And I was like, oh no. Oh, oh no. no. Oh no. Like dead silence. And then I remember thinking to myself, it was so stupid because I was meant to go upstairs and like get some like fresh underwear and stuff so I could go and stay at a friend's for the night. I forgot to do that because I was so nervous. Um, so I like, they like uh, weren't not supportive, were just very shocked. They weren't expecting I guess it takes it. like time to digest. Yeah. Um, so I was like, listen, I'm going to go and stay at a friend's for the night. And it was a mutual friend of mine and my dad's like dead middle of both our yeah. ages. Quite funny, but we're both very good friends with her. And I was like, I'll be here, she'll message you, she'll let you know I'm okay. And I just kind of left. And I had a car, so I did drive. I did drive at the time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I just went to hers and was crying my eyes out and told her what's happened. She was like, wait, what? And then I messaged my boss and I was wow, like... Wow, it's an all coming out night well, for I'm, everyone. <laughs> I was like, I have to be at work in the morning. And I, I was like, I can't be... Because I'm really good friends with my boss. Like, he's one of my best friends. And I didn't want to just be like, I can't be in work tomorrow. Because he would want to know why and he yeah. wouldn't know what was wrong. I'm not very good at lying. So I was just like... I'm staying at a friend's tonight. I told my parents this. Then he phoned me and was like, what? <laughs> Everyone was basically like, like yeah. <laughs> Everyone was basically just like, what is happening? <laughs> um, but yeah, I stayed at hers for, I think, two nights. And then when I spoke to my parents, it was all pretty chill. I remember at work the next day, I basically just did not do anything. Um, I sat, we have like a little kind of courtyard bit outside our office and just kind of sat on the bench there and just kind of sat there kind of doing nothing, speaking to someone. I remember my friends just coming into work and being like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm great. It's all good. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that was how I came out to my family and most of my friends, like the important friends. Um, so yeah, it was pretty... I mean, for them, I think it was traumatic. Looking back, I actually find it kind of hilarious. 
I don't think they do. <laughs> um, but yeah. Do you kind of like one of those things where you come out to one person and it's like, I feel like I just need to just tell everyone now? Or yeah, like... so totally like that. So I had like been speaking to a friend before I came out to my sisters and I didn't want to come out to my like loads of friends before coming yeah. out to my family in case they like heard through someone, someone else or something. Mm. Not that like there's really much connection, but I just didn't want to take the risk. Um, and then after that, I was just really excited to tell people and, like I said, like, start living my life the way I felt my life should be lived. Mm. Um, but then I had to wait for my parents to come to terms with it and, like, you know, just kind of sort myself out a bit and sort my family out before telling those people and it just spreading. Yeah. Um, and do you feel like going from coming out as gay, then coming out as trans, there was any kind of hurdles or anything, any obstacles that you felt, oh, okay, I can't do it now, I can't do it now. Like, was there anything that got in the way? I just felt almost embarrassed or ashamed of who I was because it wasn't that I'd lied about, like, being a gay woman. Like, I don't, like, I never identified with that really, but it just, it was the easiest thing to do. Um... So, and I think going from coming out as gay, which was really easy, like, I remember, like, she takes my dad being like, by the way, I'm gay. And wow. him being like, I don't, yeah, it's fine. Like, I think, so my uncle is gay and he came out as gay when he was 16. So, okay. like, back in the 90s? Yeah. Oh, like, like, really yeah, long hard 90s. For him. And, um, like, he had a lot of issues with it, so my family had, like, gone through that with him. And I felt that they were more prepared for me to be yeah. gay than for me to be trans. They were like, oh, no. Like, there's so much more to do when you're trans. You have to be so proactive mm -hmm. about life. <laughs> um, whereas when you're gay, it's just like, this is who I want to sleep with and spend my life with. Um, but, yeah, so there were definitely a lot of hurdles to get into that. I just felt ashamed of who I was and ashamed of, like... Almost like not bringing shame on my family because that wouldn't, that's not the right way to phrase it, but like having the limelight on them and having yeah. people message them and ask them questions yeah. like, you know, ask them like the little head bob, like, how are you doing? Like, someone had died or something. Yeah. Um, so I think that was what really stopped me from, you know, coming out sooner. Do you feel like, in a way, someone has died? Like, you know, like your old identity, like your old self, or is it like, you're still you, that it was, you're just a different gender. So I would say that, I don't like to use the word died, so there's this, there's a phrase in the trans community which is dead naming, which is when someone uses your birth name to refer to you when you don't live that way anymore. Um, and that's to signify that the person you were back then is dead. And I don't think that the person I was ever died, I think they just evolved yeah. in a way. Um, and I'm definitely not the same person I was then, but not because I transitioned, just because I'm more sure of myself and I'm more, you know, in tune with who I am as a person and I'm more confident and, you know, I don't have a lot of the issues that I had when I was living as my uh, birth mm -hmm. gender. So I don't think that that person died. I think they just became another part of who I am now. I feel like because you came out so young as well, it might also just be a part of, like, growing up and, like, coming to terms with yourself anyway. Yeah. Because, you know, right now I was that person for far longer than I've been Luke for, but in, at the end of the day I'm always going to be Luke for longer than that person 
you know, ever existed for. And I don't think that them existing kind of, you know, uh, invalidates any of my identity now because yeah. I feel like if I wasn't trans, I would just not be the person I am today. I would not have had the experiences I've had today. And I don't think that I would be any better off for not being trans. I feel like a more well-rounded person yeah. because mm. of it. Do you feel more like... Because you were saying you have more confidence, do you feel more self-assured then? Because you have been on this journey and it's like you've made, you've been more proactive, you've done, like, do you, is that kind of, does that help you feel more confident in who you are? Yeah, I mean, I went through a whole journey to become the person I am today and I am constantly aware that I've not, like, you know, no one's ever done with changing, mm. you know, no one ever stops and becomes one person for the rest of their life. And I, I'm very aware of that. But I also think that that's just a part of life. Um, just that I have to pay attention to it. Yeah. And um, so you mentioned earlier, like, you were so excited to tell everyone, get it off your chest so that you could, like, live life authentically how you want to live it. So how did it feel when you'd come out as gay? Or even before then, I don't know how soon, like, you, you knew it. How were you just, like, feeling day-to-day -day when you felt like you were living your most authentic life? Um, I don't know. I Looking back, like, I just... I realised that I clearly had a lot of issues that I didn't notice um, because I thought that was just how life was until I realised I was trans. I just felt like... I wasn't me, I wasn't, I, I knew even before I knew I was trans, I knew I wasn't being the person I was meant to be, and I felt like I wasn't a good person and I was doing everything wrong, but in reality that was just because I hadn't discovered who I was yet. Hmm. What was it that like sparked your discovery and realisation and that made you think like, yes, that's me, that's, that's how I identify as well, before you actually like told everyone so um i had like some friends that were trans or identified under the kind of umbrella of being trans um and just them introducing me to a world that i wasn't really aware existed because not that i lived a sheltered life or anything just because even back then like three four years ago it wasn't something that was spoken yeah. about much um and i just, from there just kind of like was looking at youtube videos and looking at um, kind of different people that I know that have transitioned in their life and it just kind of hit me like this is who I am this is who I'm meant to be how have I not realized mm. this yet and do you think as so like growing up for me it was kind of just LGBT or I don't even know if we would use that that was an acronym yeah um do you think as LGBTQ as like grown and there's there's so many different identities and like that are now being people can I don't know the correct term but you can now identify as this and legitimately this is there's a name for it and you can actually feel comfortable saying I'm trans or and, and it actually be something that's recognized do you think that's given people in those communities kind of more self-assurance because you were saying like when you were uh a woman or a young girl and you identifying as a lesbian that wasn't that was just kind of the closest thing that was that you thought this is who i who i am i guess but now that you kind of there's like being trans is spoken about and it's do you think it's do you think there's like um 
it's like helpful for not helpful but I know what you mean do you like the labeling or do you think it's like discouraging is that what you mean yeah like do you think it's it's good for it's a good obviously it's a good I don't know is it a good thing that there's more <laughs> I get what you mean do you know what I mean like, <laughs> I know you mean. I know you're going to say because it's so confusing because like when back in the day even like when we were at secondary school it was like there wasn't all that these wasn't things even a thing. yeah it's like it seems like it would be a good thing that now there is more like labels but then also is 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 the labeling like I don't want to be labeled yeah like, I don't, I don't, I don't like know them. what it is from the other side Okay, so I think that, um, it's like you said, even like when you were at school and like when I was at school, it um, it wasn't something that was spoken about. It was something that existed behind the scenes, but yeah. it wasn't something that was spoken about. And I remember like being young and seeing like gay people on TV or like mm-hmm. even like the odd trans person, but they were always displayed as kind of a caricature right. of the real life, you know, thing. Um, and I think that nowadays with so much, well, not so much, I don't want to overdo it, but like yeah. a lot more representation, still not enough, mm. but more representation in the media, it makes it less of kind of something to laugh at and something to, you know, be confused by and something yeah. that's just a part of life. But in terms of, in terms of labelling, um, it does really help some people. It helps people find themselves it helps people figure out where they fit in Mm. and you know a lot of people are like all for let's get rid of labels let's just live in a world that has no labels and that's all well and good for that specific group of people yeah but if you're a young trans person trying to figure out their place in the world then they're going to need that label and they're going to want that label so that they can explain their identity better to other people and so that they can understand their identity better themselves um i also on the flip side of that i do think that the fact that there's now you know like not that these things haven't always existed only now that there's names for everything Mm -hmm. that can exist people like take it as a an opportunity to you know make uh the lgbt plus community into almost just like not a laughing stock but just someone to like like something to make fun of Mm -hmm. because there's so many different things like the classic um, I'm going to identify as an attack helicopter joke that you mm. see all the time on like Facebook and Twitter and it just it gives them more reason to dislike us and to use us as the punchline of their jokes right. um, whereas you know if you just had LGBT like people would kind of get over it and I'm not saying that there's not need for those labels for some people but it does give, you know, transphobic people or people that, you know, don't particularly care about the community more ammunition. Mm. It's yeah. like, on one side it gives direction and clarity on who you are, but the other side it's like opening the door for people to basically take the piss. Okay, so you have a blog and you write very interesting pieces in it. I want you to talk to us more about it, but specifically... Um, the post where you spoke about how it's so difficult for transgender people to actually receive the treatment that they need to obviously transition transition I can't say to um yeah sorry so that blog post in particular contains a lot of facts so you might have to I'll try and remember everything but it's uh, a lot of research um So, essentially, it's really difficult to transition in the UK because throughout 
um, the whole of the United Kingdom, so that's England, Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland, not even including Northern Ireland, actually, um, there's only 14 gender identity clinics, which what they're Whoa. officially called under the NHS. Um, so that's pretty crazy. Um, so there isn't, even in, there isn't even one in Northern Ireland, and I think a couple of weeks ago they just decided to, uh, to create one, um, there, which is pretty cool, and also in Wales, Wales is going to get one, because until now, people from Wales and Northern Ireland have either been going to London or Nottingham to receive treatment, and essentially, um, the London one, the waiting list is currently 14 months for your initial assessment, wow. um, uh, the Nottingham one, I think it's around 18 months. So almost two, a year to two years. Yeah. From and that's just the initial assessment. Initial assessment, yeah. So you basically go, speak to a psychologist, tell them all your woes, and, um, <laughs> <laughs> and they figure out whether or not to diagnose you with what's called gender dysphoria, which mm. is kind of what you legally need to be trans. And how does that make you feel? Because um, in a podcast with Monroe Bodoff. Mm. She was saying how it's mad that these psychologists, most of them are probably not transgender, are making the decision about other people whether or not they're transgender when how on earth would they even know? Yeah. So how did that make you feel? Was that like really frustrating? So I don't think I've ever been into one of the clinics or into the clinic I go to, which is the Charing Cross Clinic, um, and seen another trans person either behind the desk or, you know, in one of the counselling rooms, um, which is quite strange, actually, now that I think about it. Um, it is frustrating. I feel like a lot of the time our lives and, like, the future of our lives are put into the hands of people that don't really understand the mentality mm. behind um, what we're going through and what we have to, you know, live with until we're able to... Um, a lot of the time socially and medically transition and you know they're given all the decisions we don't really get a say in anything mm. and in this podcast with mum Bergdorf sorry I can't speak she was saying how she had to be um, so confident when she was going and be like yes I'm trans like no this is I sort of feel like this like she had to be like that because if there was any sort of doubt then the psychologist might be like well yeah no they're not serious they're this might just be a phase or something which is obviously so like infuriating especially after she's probably waited how many months yeah just, just for the, that yeah initial, um meeting yeah so um you have to be really specific and like you said really confident about everything that you say to them they ask so many questions about like your mental health um what your family's like i swear i've never i have it down now if anyone asks me questions about my family i can what's really your family got speech. to do with you being transgender right um <laughs> <laughs> they literally ask you everything my mum forced me into this clinic yeah. i don't want to be here <laughs> i think we even spoke about my dogs um, what? and um then you have to like give examples from your childhood of like hints that you're trans and you have to tell them stories from when you knew that you were trans and Sorry, stuff like that. Sorry, can you like get that. this, um, the surgery on the NHS? It, yeah, you can get it oh, on the okay. NHS. Oh, okay, so I was going to say... Um, the waiting list is super long. Okay, and this is, so this, in, like, this meeting assessment yeah. is for, if you're getting it 
So the initial assessment, the first appointment, which is an hour and a half long, by the way, to tell them about your entire life. Just dogs. Um, (laughs) Why would I come to the clinic to pretend that I'm trans to go through this for an hour and a half? Why would I go wait eighteen months of my life and I don't understand why I would do that? Why someone would fake that? So why? What do I have to gain from this? Yeah, for real. And um, so basically, the initial assessment in that hour and a half, they decide. Well, they don't decide. You tell them what you want. So for me, it was hormone, re- hormone, rep- ah, hormone oh, replacement therapy, <laughs> hormone replacement therapy, otherwise known as HRT, or um, uh, or and um, top surgery, which is essentially a double mastectomy. Mm. Um, so you have to know what you want before you go in there. Yeah, it's not much. like the options are given to you. Like here, am uh, I a doctor? Yeah. <laughs> Help me! me. <laughs> Help me! <laughs> Come on! And yeah. is it true as well that, I don't know if it's still the same, but you have to actually wait after that initial assessment and then they're like, okay, yes, you are trans after you really told yeah. them many times. Yeah. And then you have to wait then, you have to live as the gender you wish to live for two years before uh, you actually so receive. It's a year. A year now. So you have yeah. to live as your, um, as your... As the gems that you identify with yeah. for at least a year. Before socially. receiving the um, HRT. Yeah. That's just mad. But yeah, how can crazy. I live as a gender that I want to be if I haven't repl- got the things that I want? Yeah, exactly. So they're like, you have to, you know, be out to all your friends and family. You have to have legally change your name, which is, by the way, the biggest pain in the arse. In the <laughs> really? Um, yeah. Like easy. No, not when you're trans. Oh, I, oh okay. <laughs> yeah, you'd think so, but mm. no, they make it really difficult. Um, changing your name is easy. You literally just print it out, but changing it with different companies and like the bank is probably the easiest. But then changing your driving license, changing your passport. Passport was the worst, um, by far. There's have... things that you wouldn't like. There's so much other things that I'm going yeah. through, and this is the thing that's like admin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. admin is for like... real. There's so much life admin when you're trans. <laughs> <laughs> it's stressful. That's a <laughs> can we take away from this <laughs> admin life is hard <laughs> it's so stressful like changing my passport I had to get a note from my doctor oh and my um so I had to have my change of name deeds poll it's called and then I had to have a note from my doctor and they were looking for one specific word in this doctor's note and it wasn't in it so I had to go to my doctor again and be like please give me this can you just add again. this note yeah I need to say exactly this, and I just literally stood there and was like, it needs to say this, and just told them exactly what it had to say. Also, I could, like, get to the passport office, no issues. I'm going to cough. <coughs> or choke. <laughs> <coughs> Sorry. That's fine. It sounds like the whole transitioning process is a nightmare and all you want to do is just live your life. Yeah. They're making it as hard as possible. Yeah, for real. Like, you have so much else going on. Like, you know, I was trying to, you know, figure out what job I wanted to do, figure out finances as an actual adult, stuff like that. And then I'm like, on top of all of that, I have to do everything else. But, like, stuff that is meant to be done by your parents when you're born, you have to redo it all. Um, I haven't even, like, I haven't even bothered to get my birth certificate change because that's oh. the worst thing in the world so you can get it changed mm. but I won't bother until I get married if I ever get married how did it feel like when you got your passport and it was like your true identity and like 
It was pretty cool, but also at that point, I'd been to the passport office like three or four times. Sick of the place. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was so done with it, and I was just like, this, I have made so many complaints. And like, the front office staff was so, so lovely and helpful, and they were like, this is just messed up, because I don't think they'd ever had to deal with it before. And then everyone else like was just like, oh, just everything I was doing was wrong, or it was too much effort for them. Um, or they just didn't know how to go about it yeah (laughs) or like they've never done it before so they didn't know how to go about it Um, so it was it should have been really exciting but it was actually just like so I remember watching an episode of Queer Eye do you remember he he got his he got his the DMV and he was like burst into tears (laughs) and then so did I forgot his name but he also burst into tears but yeah yeah that was a good episode it wasn't quite like that though no it really wasn't I was like I'm so done with this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never getting traumatised from the passport office. <laughs> what do you think would make this whole thing easy? Do you think it needs to start with the NHS? Do you think it needs to start with just generally more, you know, information about transgender? Yeah, what can, what can do, what can the system generally do to help? I think a lot of like being trans, like coming out as trans and, you know, just being visible in society is probably the most difficult part because people always have questions like even my friends ask really inappropriate questions i'm like google it um (laughs) i'm so tired of talking about this (laughs) um but i think that the biggest thing that can actually be done to make change is just the nhs changing their processes changing their procedures putting more money into you know mental health departments because being trans no longer classified as a mental illness, but their department still falls under the mental health. Yeah, well, I didn't realise it once was. Yeah, like of like the last six months, it has been. Oh my god. Taken off that list. I think homosexuality was only decriminalised in Scotland like 20, 30 years ago. It wasn't that yeah, long ago. Yeah, it was long ago. Wow. Um, so yeah, that was only taken off the mental illness kind of list in the last few months. Um, which was obviously like, on one hand it was amazing, on the other hand, now it's like, okay, so what are we? Mm. <laughs> um, like, what is, like, feeling like an anomaly, because at least then there was kind of, again, it like comes back to labels, like, yeah. it wasn't like a mental illness, it wasn't a bad thing, but it was a difference in mentality, I guess. Um, and now it's just like, no one knows what to do with kind of... And what bracket you fall yeah, under. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I think the NHS kind of changing and kind of putting more effort into making being trans just, you know, an easier ride because they can do so much to help the community and they just don't because they don't put resource into it. Yeah. Um, and that's probably the worst thing. Mm. Did they offer you any kind of, um, like, you have these resources available to you if you feel, like, anxious, you need help? Like, kind of. There's, there's organisations you can go to. But, um, you know, it's quite intimidating to go and... So I went to a support group once. I hated it. Um, <laughs> never been back. Um, but um, you like, there's, like, you know, going to be, like, 30 or 40 people there because there's so few support yeah. groups. And then it's just really intimidating to talk to these people that have clearly transitioned. You're like, holy crap. Um, 
like these people are like actually like living their lives and I'm just kind of here looking like a 12 year old girl yeah there should be like different stages of what you are <coughs> yeah exactly they're... so they do it by age which doesn't really work um, and you may not feel comfortable opening up in front of 40 strangers you may want a one on one chat with someone yeah exactly yeah. those at your stage of your journey yeah yeah exactly so but because there's so few organisations yeah. offering that and the NHS doesn't offer that it's difficult to split it like that I was going to ask, um, after your kind of hour and a half family tree chat, um, <clears throat> like what was like the next step for you um, in your journey? So they were like, um, yeah, sounds like you have gender dysphoria. Um, and I was like, that. Well, yeah, <laughs> thanks for that. Um, <laughs> no shit. Um, <laughs> and they... Um, well, they're like meant to send you kind of a breakdown of everything that you spoke about. So they're taking notes the whole time. They're meant to send you a breakdown. I think I got the like the notes from the clinic like a year after in the post. And I was like, oh, what's this from the NHS? <laughs> um, and I was like, oh, that appointment I had a year, a year ago. ago. <laughs> um, and by that point, I was just like, I was, I had had my second appointment, I think. Think. Yeah, I must. Whole twelve it. months later. Yeah, <laughs> so I was like waiting to start um, testosterone, so hormones, um, and I was like, this is just useless to me now. But great. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, after so about a year later, I had my second appointment, and they gave me the go ahead to start hormones, and I had to like sign an agreement with them so that the NHS, the clinic themselves, and my GP would do what's called shared care. Um, where there's both take responsibility, they're both horrendous at it. Um, it's like, I'll phone my GP a few months and be like, uh, is there time Shared I had negligence. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. I'll be like, is there time I had like a blood test or something? <laughs> They'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, we could do that. They'll be like, no, we should, we should do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I have to remind them about stuff all the time. Um, but even once this shared care agreement was signed and it was sent to my GP, I phoned them every day for like three weeks. I could, I would like to have chats with the receptionist. They knew who I was at this point. And, um, it's Luke again. Yeah. He's going to talk to He wants to talk about the same thing he wants to talk about every day. Um, <laughs> and they basically had to have a whole meeting about whether or not to agree to shared care with an NHS clinic, which is ridiculous because they're both NHS, you know, my mm. GP wasn't private or anything. Um, and they had to have a whole meeting with the surgery staff about whether or not they were going to agree to it. And I just phoned up and was like, listen, this is ridiculous. If you're not going to agree to it, I'm just going to leave the surgery. I'll find another some, one. <laughs> yeah, I'll just get someone that would agree to it. <laughs> um, there's plenty that will. And they clearly had just never done anything like it before. And then eventually they did it and I was like, great and they sent off my prescription then they were like yeah this uh this company like they keep um not filling orders so maybe you want to get the non-branded version of testosterone of course. And I was like, great cut costs with me <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah for real and i was like okay i just had to get another prescription and then had to phone my nurse and like actually make an appointment honestly it was like the most long-winded month and a half of my life although the appointment, I remember, was in March. I didn't start testosterone until June. Jeez. So that was quite a long thing. So they said I could do it in March, and then in June I actually had my first injection. 
Um, oh, was it self-injections or you have to go and get them done? So for the first few, the nurse did it. Now I self-inject, which is not fun. But How often to go to the nurse. do you have Every to... four weeks. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's just such a, I would say a pain in the arse, but it's a bit too ironic. I don't <laughs> yeah. do it like that. <laughs> I do it like that. But, um, <laughs> uh, it's just so much effort. Also, out of interest, how did you pick the name Luke? Uh, I really liked Star Wars. Oh, and, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I liked Star Wars, and um, for a while, my uncle and his boyfriend would call me Skywalker, just, like, as a nickname, and um, my parents both liked the name. Um, I did get a lot of comments from people saying, oh, it's not very Jewish, is it? And I was like, I don't really care, to be honest. Please <laughs> <laughs> got to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, I love to just... <laughs> They're like, just yeah, like, they're just like, oh, it's a bit of a, a, bit of a Christian name. And I'm like, I don't really think it is, though. Off all the stress is out. It's not I'm quite not Jewish at all. She was like one of five Jewish names. Like, be like you know, David, Daniel, <laughs> you know, Bradley. It's like... That's actually really true. It's so not Jewish boys with all those names. Yeah, yeah. it's true. <laughs> so, um, when you started the hormone treatment, how did that feel like? Was was it like almost like going through puberty again? It's pretty crazy. Like it's still going on. There were like so I went to America for a few months, a month after starting hormones, and there has been a few changes, like a bit of like a voice crack and like some kind of difference in appearance, mm. but nothing big. And then whilst I was away, big stuff happened. Like my voice dropped and. I just looked different in general and like my friends were noticing it whilst I was away and I didn't have any phone signal the whole time so I didn't speak to my parents much, like email occasionally. Um, wow, how 90! Right? <laughs> there was there was literally no phone signal so I couldn't talk to them over the phone, they weren't... Weren't you in a developed country? Yeah. I was in America, but I was in the middle of the mountain. Oh. <laughs> yeah. That's what it's like there, I'm never going. <laughs> yeah. No, it was so what? Um, but, like, for real, we, like, had, like, six computers between, like, 300 staff, so I should never use them. And then we had phones that you could use, but obviously time difference, eight hours, I'd be using mm. it either at, like, one in the morning or mid-afternoon when I was busy, so... So when you came back, your parents were like, who's this? Yeah, so they were like, wow, you've changed so much. And then at my sister's wedding, straight after I got back, like a few days after I got back, they were like, whoa, you've changed so much. <laughs> yes, yeah. I'm Luke. <laughs> yeah, nice to meet you. Yeah. <laughs> and can you tell us more about your top surgery? Because this must have been like a massive thing for you. Oh, this was so cool. So I had to fundraise for my top surgery. Um, because the NHS waiting list, I'm not actually sure how long the waiting list is at the moment, so I don't want to say a number, but I know it's not short. Um, too long. Pardon? Too long. Yeah, too yeah. long, way too long. Um, so I like heard this surgeon and I knew this guy through the organisation I worked for that um, that was the business partner of this surgeon, because he's private, so he had a business partner, and said he could... Um, said he could get me, you know, a free assessment. Because usually I have to pay £150, I think, mm. for the assessment. And I was like, great, whenever, perfect. Went and saw him. And he was like, yeah, this all, all looks good. Like, we can pencil him for this date. And he did put me in for a date. And then I was like, actually, let's 
move that back a bit because I don't think I'll have the money. Mm. Um, and then I essentially just started a GoFundMe page and loads of my friends donated. And it was strange. So the summer camp I worked at in America, loads of people like donated ridiculous amounts of money, but also the families of my campers who like didn't know me. You don't really meet the families mm. um, who had heard about me through Facebook and through like... My camp social media also donated, which was really sweet. And um, eventually, I think I raised just over £4,000. Wow. And then, yeah. Well and part of that was my parents donated, like, quite, like, I think £1,000. And then the rest was literally just friends, like, random people. And then the last £2,000 was me. Um, so that was really cool. And I... <laughs> I paid for my surgery in cash, and I can't really remember why. Came um, like, like a drug dealer. Yeah. He was like, yeah. he was like, he was like, it's not that, it's not unusual for people to decide that they're going to pay in cash just because it's easier. Um, Who has this much cash lying around? Yeah, was, yeah, right. And, <laughs> and I just remember, so I hadn't paid in cash, so I paid for my surgery straight. So I paid half before, and I paid the rest like straight after my surgery. And I was really high, really out of it. And I remember <laughs> this guy being like, because I'd seen him a couple of weeks before, and he said, I'm not going to come to the recovery room, don't worry, because that could be quite embarrassing. You'll be, like, high on painkillers. And I was like, great. <laughs> um, and he did come to the recovery room, and I was just like, yeah, money is in my bag upstairs. <laughs> I was just like, totally out of it. Um, totally out of it. And my parents kind of gave him money, but... Yeah, I was. It was like the nicest experience of my life. Also, really helped that the hospital was lush. Mm. It was amazing. It's like, what you get with private healthcare. Oh, <laughs> like three course meals. Like the first, I remember when I got there in the morning to check in for surgery. The first, one of the first things we did after filling out the forms was they gave me a menu and like choose the food and I was like good finally the service you need oh it's a choice oh, yeah. just dumped in front yeah, of you no, like no there's a choice and everyone else was like oh I threw up so much after surgery and I ate so much <laughs> <laughs> I felt really fat afterwards I was like take a picture of my food and send it to my friends like, what I are you jealous <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah it was like. It, like, it was stressful fundraising for it, but it was quite... It, it was something I needed to do, and I knew that I would have had to wait so much longer with the NHS, and I was, I'm so happy that I did it. So. Are there any other steps or like procedures that you need to go through? So there are other things that I could do, like hysterectomy, which basically like get rid of the uh, internal sexual organs, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and then as well as that, there's what's called bottom surgery, um, which is essentially the surgery to change your outside genitals. That sounds weird. I don't think that's the right word. Um, but, um, that's like three or four different surgeries and it can be quite complicated and it's not, it's not it's not a straightforward thing. Yeah. Not the not the top surgery was, but it was it's just it's quite difficult to, you know, decide which surgery you're gonna go with. So few people do it. Um the waiting list can be really long because like even though not hundreds of thousands of people want it, there's so few surgeons that will yeah. do it. Um you're I don't think you're allowed to do it privately in this country. Oh, okay. 
um, because of how the surgery is, because it's quite, like, not risky, but there's high chance of infection. So, yeah, that's not even something I'm thinking about. Um, but the clinic wanted to discharge me, and they were like, do you want this surgery? And I'm like, I don't really want to decide right now in mm. this chair, mm. in a tiny office, if I want the surgery, so I'm going to stay with you guys. <laughs> um, yeah, and they were like, if you wanted to, you could get re-referred. I'm like, I'm not going for that again. Well, just, chill out, just, wasn't yeah. it? People were making you wait ages. Yeah, Listen, don't discharge me, and then like say I can get re-referred. I'm like, I'd rather just stick, stay here. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there are other things I could do, but not really anything I'm planning in the immediate future. So like, with you and so you've made your transition. Is the like with the hormones and stuff? Is it kind of a goal to be more manly, or is it now in more of a more like I just want to look what I think's nice? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Because so, it might get to a point where it's like I look. I feel good about myself. I just want to now just look good. Yeah, so I think um, I think now I feel a lot better about myself. And when I first started hormones, I was always constantly, oh, I've got to pass smell, got to pass a smell, mm-hmm. um, which is what a lot of you know trans people think all the time. Yeah. They have to pass as the gender that they identify with. And now I'm like, I feel freer. Like I can be a bit more androgynous if I want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't get what like misgenders, which mm. like where you get called your birth gender. I did once actually a few weeks ago. I was doing an interview for this job, and he did. He wasn't sure what to call me at the front desk, and I was like, "This is awkward." <laughs> <laughs> um, but I didn't feel that awkward because I just thought it was really silly. I, you know, I'm clearly male. Mm. Um, were you cleanly shaven? Yeah, I think I think I shaved because it was a very important job interview, and I was just like, but even so, yeah, like I, I don't look do, like yeah. a girl. No. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say. Um, and like my, I think once I spoke, very deep. Yeah, mm. once I spoke, and he was like, "All oh, right," but I was like, whilst I was like getting checked in, he was like, "I don't know what to call you." Um, like Probably it was very like, clear. In his head, thinking, "Oh my god!" Yeah, <laughs> it was very funny actually. I didn't feel like because I know like I'm much more confident myself. That's happened like a year ago. Yeah. I would be like, "Oh no!" Yeah. But um, now I just was. I was he like, was "This guy's just a bit more silly." Like, oh no, than you were. Which yeah. Is... You are like so confident and self assured. Like how how has that process like developed through your transition, like? How just is it the way is it looking different or is it really is it something that's changed and grown within you? I don't know really. Um, what a question. Um, I don't know is the answer. Um, yeah, I know I look different, but also I just I think it all comes back to just feeling more like the person that I'm meant mm. to be. Yeah, yeah, because I think what I meant was like because you obviously said like a year ago you just weren't in that mindset at yeah. all so like what do you think it is that has triggered you to just feel so much more like happy within yourself is it like now the tra- like all your stages of transitioning that you feel complete complete or like just people accepting you for who you really want to be is there like one thing you can pinpoint so i feel like when i first realized i was trans and I was watching all of these YouTubers, like, go through their transitions and being like, one day I'm going to do this well. It's like, reaching the point where they kind of end up is really strange to me, because now it's like, 
I don't watch videos of people transitioning. I just, you know, um, You're like there. where I am. Yeah. yeah, I'm there. And I think that helps me be very confident. Mm. Um, not always. I'm not always very confident. Um, but also it helps that, you know, I've got... A, I've always had a really good support system, yeah. a really good group of friends, really good... Fa- like, my family is amazing. Mm. Um, and... Yeah, I think that's just all kind of led to me being the person I am yeah. today. How important do you think it is now for... Obviously, you know, everyone has down days or, and, and everything, but how important is it for someone who's now in a much better place to kind of support and help those who are not maybe... or still earlier on in their journey? Or is there is there enough of that going around? And do you feel like you... Not it's your duty, but... Do you feel like that's something you're interested in doing? Um, so, so I do, not, not the, yeah, so like you said, it's not a duty, no. but it is something that I feel almost responsible for, yeah. especially kind of, so like I said, I work for a Jewish youth organisation, and I came out in 2016, and since then a few other people have come out as trans, oh. And I, like, oftentimes, like, I'll be one of the first people that people go to to ask, like, for advice or, you know, the other staff that want to know kind of what they can do to support that person will come and talk to me and then I'll speak to the young person and just, like, see how they're doing, like, what they're feeling, what they want. So I do feel a duty in that respect as kind of a youth worker. And what kind of advice do you give to people that come to you? What would be, like, the first thing you say if they're they're confused or they're just like yeah scared i think my biggest thing is just not not making a big deal out of it but just being so if it's the person that has come out is coming to me it's just being you know make sure that you're always somewhere safe and also make sure that they that the people that you want to accept you know that that's always who you have been and who you would eventually have had to have been anyway because otherwise you wouldn't have been living your life authentically and it would have had, you know, a really detrimental effect on you. Um, When organisations or volunteers from different, you know, groups and communities come to me and ask for advice, I just say the most important thing is to be more proactive than reactive about, you know, people being LGBT plus within your community. Um, So making sure that, the space that you have is always a safe space and not making it into a safe space after you feel the need to. Yeah. I read this thing, though, it was like, the more safe spaces you have, isn't that a sign that it's actually more dangerous? Do you know what I mean? Like Because like, those people filter into those spaces. Yeah, or, or like you feel the need to provide safe spaces because it's so dangerous outside of the safe spaces. Have you ever felt like you're in danger at all? Um, I have once or twice... Um, I was in the bathroom of a nightclub. Um, I also just said nightclub, and I feel like an old person. A nightclub? <laughs> um, Discotheque. Yeah. It was actually an old person club, to be fair. <laughs> like, proper cheesy. Um, and, like, you know how they have, like, bouncers in the toilets? Oh. Yeah. Oh, my God, this guy did not like me. And I was like, I'm not going to go in the women's, because that's weird. Um, and I went into the men's, so I always... You know, as I have since, like, pretty much since I came out. Yeah. And um, and this this guy, uh, this bouncer, I swear he was watching, like, through the crack in the door. 
and I just went out, like all my friends were saying, I was like, I need a drink, that was really weird. Um, oh, and I thought he was going to like try and open the door or something, which is obviously really stressful. And um, violating my private yeah. space. Yeah. Even if I, like, say you were still, um, like, before you were looking, you were still a girl, you shouldn't be coming into the toilet. Maybe I just wanted to use the men's bathroom just yeah. to stay out of my space. Yeah, for real. It was really strange. It's very jobsworthy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is way above it. When you got your contracts, did it entail coming yeah, into the bathroom and checking the genders? Yeah, yeah, sorry. I thought you meant to just be had that soap and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Making sure no one's doing it drugs. Yeah. <laughs> a pack of gum and leave. Like. Yeah. <laughs> Spray some perfume. Yeah. Yeah. It was so weird. But, um, I mean, that's when I felt like... I think the most in danger... I, like, I went through this phase of, like, hating people asking me questions about being trans all the time. Mm-hmm. Now I'm happy to speak about it because I've kind of gone to where I always thought I would be in my transition... But when I was first transitioning, I was just like, ugh, this is just not something I want to talk about all the time. Like, mm. go away. Especially mm. when you're living it all the time. It's like, I don't want to speak about it again yeah. and again. Yeah, exactly. When So before you started taking the hormone replacement therapy, but you obviously come out as, um, like, you wanted to be a man, um, What did you find it difficult to pick a toilet to use? I know it sounds minor, but no, it's like... No, I, I think for the first few months I did, then, like... I'm not really one for clubbing or, like, going out loads. So the places I was going to, like, it didn't, they didn't care that much. Yeah. And, like, at work, they were like, yeah, whatever. Like, everyone used whatever toilets they want anyway. Yeah. Because, you know, there's... It's work. Everyone knows each other. Mm. No one cares. Um, and then, yeah, those were the only two places where I really ever worried about it. And, you know, if I ever had to go to the toilet in a public place, like in an airport or in a train station or something, then... I just kind of kept my head down and just went about my business, so mm. to speak. Yeah. And it is only your business. <laughs> and so you said, like, obviously it, it would be quite annoying to keep people asking questions about your journey, and that's completely understandable. How else can people educate themselves on the community? Because I feel like there's so much more people... Like, even the fact that even talking to you and the way that I want to phrase my question is so hard in terms of like to actually get what I want to say out how can people educate themselves in a way to be able to have more fluid conversations without being very annoying invading people's space and not just personal space like actually my social cues my social space and offending offending yeah So I think, first of all, I'm just, like, not very easily offended at this point in life. So I don't... Yeah, I mean, not that any of you have been offensive, but I don't really care how people phrase questions to me because I'm very used to just being like, oh, just Google it, I'm not going to talk about this. Yeah. Um, But I think it's important to know that there are a lot of resources online and there are a lot of blogs run by trans people and there are a lot of like, web articles and websites written by trans people that are, you know, made to make sure that people that aren't trans can interact with trans people and understand them more, if Mm. that makes sense. So there'll be, like, FAQs and stuff on, you know, being trans Mm. and that kind of stuff. So there are plenty of resources if people did want to find out. Yeah, I do feel like, um, obviously, it's just been Pride Month. Do you think that occasions like this are so important so that more people can understand because obviously um, things like that are 
very useful but people have to cut out their way and they have to be like willing to understand trans people more so do you think pride like that should be something that's even bigger than it's like slowly becoming basically how important do you think it is pride month is really important it also like i'm not really of the mindset that people jump on the bandwagon but there are some companies that you know are like outright after pride month is over and it's like all the companies just like closing their doors or yeah yeah totally it's <laughs> like some of them are amazing like l- loads of companies do so much feel like it's too much effort to name loads yeah. of companies but uh, they do a lot throughout the year and some of them just really just try and sell more stuff they're mm. like oh we're LGBT inclusive mm. so come and join uh, our yeah. network yeah. or like buy our television packages like this is actually just BS. You donate... Like, your owners donate hate groups every month. Like, mm. what are you doing? Um, <laughs> and then it is... Yeah, it's just a lot of... I had this argument with some friends recently. Not an argument, more of a debate, where I had decided they all lost because they were just wrong. <laughs> um, so they said, you know, why isn't Pride just a party? So I was like, because so many people see Pride as a party and so many straight people go to Pride because it's a party and they don't really think about, you know, the history of it and why it's still important. Because we don't still have Pride just so, you know, all the LGBT people can now get wasted at a ridiculously mm. high price. Because, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, all the prices go up. It's not, you have to spend so much money at these kinds of things. That's not why people do it. But people don't think about the fact that there are still people that are fighting for their rights, there are still people that are, you know, being murdered. Um, Actually, at Portsmouth Pride, which was a few weeks ago, like two weeks ago, a a a trans man who's quite prominent in the community had the, like, living daylights kicked out of him, beasted out of him, and now has, like, a metal plate in his jaw... Oh, my God. ...that he's going to have to have in for the rest of his life, because... And his jaw is wired shut at the moment. (gasps) Um, Like, and his friends, like, were in pretty bad shape as well. So things like that still happen. And the only reason you don't hear about them is because, you know, no-one's talking about it. There are apparently, you know, more important things going on in the world... I'm not saying that there's not other stuff happening in the world, but the reason we have Pride Month and that we have, you know, Pride Parades is because visibility is so important for normalising what people, you know, how people are living every day. Most people will post a picture of themselves holding rainbow flags, like, with their friends, having a great time, and even if they are LGBT and even, you know, if there's an ally, but they, you know, no-one's posting the photos of... Mm people bleeding on the floor after having, you know, the shit beast out of them. No one posts a picture. I mean, the guy that was beast up a few weeks ago eventually posted a picture because he wanted people to know what he'd been through yeah. and what, like, what LGBT people do go through. And no one posted a picture last year when a guy that actually lives around here had his back broken on the train oh on his God. way home from Pride. Like, it's so disgusting like that. that people actually, like just want to burst people's bubbles like that so much like in the month that it's supposed to bring awareness and it's like now especially and you want to physically harm someone mm. for being even if i don't if, imagine it was like a political view like you didn't agree with someone's political view like you would you wouldn't go out of your way to physically harm them isn't it um like so ironic how like someone will speak out politically and kind of 
even just talk about being violent towards a political um like who was that woman who said something about Trump like something about one of the political like she in it was that said that she like enticed violence or whatever mm. what's her name Joe Brand and but someone and, and it was literally plastered everywhere like literally she was in, in soliciting violence like she literally she said something which is unacceptable like with someone of her platform but someone's getting actually attacked for their sexuality like actually not so this is not they didn't shout not inciting they yeah. didn't incite it they actually got attacked up, yeah we're not hearing anything about it like yeah. it's just that's just like diabolical yeah so because is someone in a position of power is mm. seen as a lot worse when actually real, real people, living man. every yeah. you know everyday mm. people are still very much harmed and um you know, uh, treated in a derogatory way just because of who they are. Mm. So, like, what would you say? I mean, obviously there's there's some obvious ones, but just to hear it from you, like, what would you say um, you'd like to see change in society in regards to the perception and treatment of transgender people? I think just, you know, realising that this isn't a new thing, this mm. isn't a fad, this isn't a thing that just young people do... Um, this is uh, the uh, you know trans people have been around for centuries. Um, there are many many like tribes in Africa and you know Native American tribes who had multiple genders. Um, this isn't new, and stop seeing it as something new or something to be ridiculed or something that's going to be gone in like a few years. Because I mean, quite frankly, we're not going anywhere, and. This isn't just random people. This could be, you know, your children. This could be your partners. This could be your family members. Um, so start just treating people with respect they deserve, whether or not you understand what they're going through or not. It's now time for our tea break segment, which is where Luke will tell us something that's inspired him or motivated him. Um or a point in your life where you felt like um, you were, it kind of changed that point in your life. Um, so yeah, share with us an object, a time, a person, a, book, a memory, a film. <laughs> um, so it's a difficult question to answer because I find so much inspiring. That seems like a cop out, but I really do. So one of my um, one of my idols is Freddie Mercury. I love him like so much. Um, and just the way he kind of had to live his entire life in the closet. Like, he literally... There was this article in the paper about him less than 24 hours before he died, and that was when everyone found out he was gay and, like, oh. dying of AIDS. Um, like, so he wasn't out at all in his life, which is crazy. Um, to anyone? Uh, no, not to anyone. When he found out he was dying, he told his, like, band. Um, he told Queen... <laughs> um, I, I don't know why I said like that. That well-known band. Know, as if you wouldn't know who Queen is. No. <laughs> um, um, so yeah, he told them a few years before he died, but he did. It wasn't public knowledge. Everyone was really shocked yeah. when this paper, this article came out. So he's like, I so I find that really sad, and I don't ever want anyone to have to live their life like that. Mm. Um, as well as him. There's a few, I don't know if you, any of you have seen Tales of the City. On yes, Netflix. on Netflix. So good. I love right? it. 
<laughs> but um, Ellen Page in like stuff like she, that. I love she's her. Amazing. She does like she like. Uh, there's just something about. Like, she's not funny, but she's like got this like dry yeah. kind of humor. Yeah. <laughs> something about like an actual LGBT LGBT person playing an LGBT yeah. person. It's really cool, and she does it so well. And she's, like, so laid back. And yeah. then as well as that, on social media and stuff, like, just in life, she's really... She's cool. Yeah, she's cool. And, and vocal. She's, yeah, vocal about the stuff that she's passionate about, which is really nice. Um, also, it's just a great show. I haven't well. finished it yet. Don't ruin it. <laughs> I watched it in, like, I need two to watch days, this. And it was... I regret... I regret watching it so quickly. I'm yet to find out what thingy... Do, what, um... You know, they keep coming in... No spoilers, please. Yeah, they keep coming into her room, like, and blackmailing her. Yeah. And yet to find out, like, what they're blackmailing her for. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. It's got a lot to come. It's yeah. crazy. Have you seen um, Bohemian Rhapsody? Yeah. What I, did you think of it? I didn't really like it. <laughs> <laughs> I literally... Okay, I'm not a big fan of Ruby's in love. I loved that film. <laughs> um, I, I've, like, read a lot of biographies about Freddie Mercury, mm. and I know it wasn't a Freddie film, but I just felt it was a bit, like... Off the mark. Also, they barely mention the fact that he was gay, and they don't really mention the fact that he died of AIDS. Yeah, um, I thought like for you like saying that that he didn't come out, um, he didn't like come out at all. Like I, the way the film played it was as if like it was kind of known, or like he didn't even know. Like it was like oh he yeah like yeah. I just felt I did feel really confused because at the end like it was like oh well yeah but they kind of made it like. We don't know. No one really ambiguous. Yeah, it's yeah. just like. But then you're saying like he like. Like he yeah, he was. Do so one of his favorite like things to do was they'd go and be playing shows in America, and he eventually bought a house in New York because there were so many like undercover bars and stuff where he could go and just be himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so he, that was like he. 100% knew he oh, was I dead, thought yeah. they could have put that in the film. That would have been interesting. Yeah, like, and it doesn't speak of, like, I think, so when he breaks up with his fiancée, Mary, mm. um, he, like, kind of briefly mentions it. But it's not... Even know, then, he yeah. more, it's more that he kind of is like, I'm not sure if we're right together. Yeah. As in, yeah. Like, he, doesn't, he doesn't say, like, I'm not attracted. I'm not, I'm not attracted to yeah, it's, it's very much yeah. like, for like someone that doesn't didn't know anything about Freddie Mercury beforehand, like, it's like you get the gist of it the whole way through. But it's not like it's there. Yeah, they yeah I like, think they were like being be. really overly careful because they wanted to like make a lot of money of it, off fear, and not and like not not be able to show in certain countries. And it's like well, okay then, yeah, which is kind of like defeats the whole purpose of the film yeah. to shine the light on someone who yeah. is such a interesting and unique individual, but. Yeah, so that was, yeah. So I should, I I get why of people like it. I think if I knew nothing about Freddie Mercury, I would have really enjoyed it. But as I know, I just didn't particularly. Mm. It, it didn't, felt like it could have been done a bit better. Yeah. Whereas on the other hand, Rocket Man. Do I have any of you seen that? Yeah, I've seen that too. Oh, Love so it. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm not so a fan awesome. of biopics unless it's Whitney. Um, <laughs> I'm loving it. So part of my job is like working. I work so. In JLGB, we run, like, the faith version of the Duke of Edinburgh's Awards. Mm. And we just had our gold uh, assessed. So we were away five days, like, assessing these kids on, like, climbing mountains and stuff. And when I drove one of the groups their drop-off point on the first day, um, I was, like, 
banging out with the Elton John <laughs> and they're like this like quite like fairly religious group of kids and they're like quite into it and then I pick them up four days later and I'm like how was it and they were like oh it was great because of your playlist we've been singing Elton John for the last four days and then like I happen to have them in the car with me on the way home and um they were like, oh, requested like all these Elton John songs. Like, that. this is so great. Yeah. <laughs> Elton love. Ruby, yeah. however, was not so successful. Really. <laughs> no, Elton John. she even added it to our Ibiza playlist. Really? And Such... she won't delete it. <laughs> so Only it I can delete it from oh, the playlist. Kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's amazing, and also like they really focused on the fact that he was like a queer man in the. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, they really did, and. um like because he like had a hand in directing it and stuff it was like it was literally about his life it yeah it was good great yeah. film yeah. so yeah those are some of my kind of inspirations as well as that I do I read a lot of books and like Queer Eye was mentioned earlier I love, love Queer, Queer Eye, Eye. Yeah. I blitzed that in like two like, days <laughs> I've, um, I've got Waiting for Me at Home Tam France's book and Caramo's book Oh, um, I didn't know Tan had a book. Yeah. I didn't know Caramon had a book. Yeah, so his, so Caramon's book's like all about self love and self love. Yeah, yeah, that's so him. And Tan's is all about. Um, fashion? fashion? <laughs> no, fashion. <laughs> it's, uh, I think, so it's called Naturally Tan, and I'm pretty sure it's about kind of growing up as a, I think it's Pakistani. Mm. Pakistani in like Manchester. I think he grew up in Manchester, yeah. And gay. Oh, I love him. And gay, yeah. So, like, how his life was, which is really cool. I'm so excited to read it when I get to Let us know. Yeah. yeah. Good recommendation. Mm. Yeah. But anyway, thank you so much thank for joining you. us today. We finally got you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm so sorry for It's such that. an interesting Ryan conversation. Actually. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's been so good to chat to you. So interesting. I, I Open conversation yeah. as well. Educational. People well. need to hear this stuff. <laughs> yeah, literally. And but I yeah, felt like I could you. ask you the questions that I wanted to without feeling like awkward or like, you know, when you just want to learn about other people and not feel like you're intruding in their personal space. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, I get you. So thanks for being so open with us. Yeah, well, thank, thank you, you so for much. having me. It's been so nice talking to all of you. And if anyone wants to find you on your social media platforms, on read your blog, yeah, yeah, where can they, if you want them to, where can they find you? Yeah, so uh, my Instagram's the best place, it's at the Luke Bible. Um, kind of like the lad bible but <laughs> <laughs> um, and my blog is linked on there as well yeah. so uh, yeah feel free to follow me it's really good guys yeah. you had a good stalk of it so <laughs> right well thank you so much for listening to this episode and please follow us as well on at no added sugar podcast and like and subscribe on spotify and apple Podcasts. um also we'd love to hear your feedback on this episode if you want to just give us questions that we can ask luke about or if just you want to tell us about what inspires you um then let us know drop us a message and or even an email, actually, at noaddedsugarpodcast at gmail.com. Um, yeah, I don't really know what else is that. That's a wrap. That's a wrap, people. Bye. Bye. <laughs>